Honest to God, do you believe that? I want to, uh, frankly, I just want to tell you where the church is for just a few moments. Is that okay? I want to tell you where the church world as a whole is right now. And uh, I don't want you to get mad or upset, and I don't want you to get depressed, but uh, I believe before you can make a, uh, before you can plan ahead and see what the Lord's up to, you've got to know where you are. You have to own up and admit to where you are. And listen to this. This came out as of uh, March of this year. This is found on georgebarna.com. You can go to this and his website. This is a, uh, um, uh, a study that was done by one, one of the offshoots of the uh, groups that he is over called American Culture and Faith Institute. I believe this was done in March of this year. This is what it says, and, this, and, and I'm quoting here now. This is a picture of what he identifies as people identifying as being born-again Christians. Now hear that phrase. In other words, people that claim to understand what it means to be born again, not just people that check the Christian box on the census form. Come on, somebody. Lots of people identify as Christian, but these are people that claim to understand what it means to be born again. And he's talking about different key, what he considers to be key moral behaviors uh, within the Christian culture today in America, within the United States. The moral behavior being uh, things such as getting a divorce for any reason. Getting a divorce for any reason, 66% of born-again Christians have no problem with people getting a divorce for any reason. Folks, that's not biblical. Maybe we got some of them in here. Uh, 54% of quote-unquote born-again Christians have no problem of having a baby without being married. 51% of born-again Christians have no problem with sexual intercourse between unmarried adults. Y'all see a problem? 38% of born-again Christians have no problem with intentionally, intentionally, looking at pictures or videos that display nudity or explicit sexual behavior. 27% of born-again Christians have no problem with someone getting an abortion. 15% of born-again Christians have no problem with intimidating or aggressively dominating someone else. 11% of born-again Christians have no problem with being married to more than one person at the same time. Now, I can go on and on and on, and I'm not trying to, to uh, depress you tonight, but you need to know where we are. You need to understand where the church is and what it is to be a remnant church. You need to be able to distinguish between some of these behaviors and some of these things that seem to be, and this ain't even my message, but this is something that the Lord's dropped in my heart, because when I look at that stuff, when I study, when I study that stuff, I ask the question, God, are you going to do a work? God, are you going to change this? Are you going to change these things? God, are you going to grip people's hearts? And with that question in mind, I go back and, and the Lord just kind of dropped it in my spirit, Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 6, and most of you probably know where I'm headed with this. It's been preached on many times, and you can remain seated while I read the scripture text, but... 
is simply this, and I ask the question, God, are you going to do a work in the Christian church in America in these last days? And Lord, are we going to be, us as a congregation, are we going to be part of the remnant church that hangs true, that stays true to biblical standards and biblical morals and biblical values? How many of you want to do that? Amen. Amen? That's who we're called to be. Now listen, listen to what the word of the Lord says in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 6. And Ezekiel says, And the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. And the Bible says, And it was full of bones. And he led me all around them, and there were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. And then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I, repl and I replied, Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And this is what the Lord God says to these bones, that I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. And I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. Somebody say amen. I want you to pray with me and for me. Father, we come tonight to do work. God, we've come to do work in your house. We've come, Lord, to hear the word preached. But Lord, not only that, but to also receive the word. And Father, we pray that in the name of Jesus, just as we have sung in the song while ago, Lord, that your spirit would have free reign in this place. Now, God, while it may be a serious message, God, enough of, I, I'm so tired, Lord, of hearing Christians not being able to take a serious message. God, we're not here to entertain. God, we're here to do work. We're here to do work in ourselves. God, we're here to allow your Holy Spirit to do work in us. Lord, we're here to allow ourselves to be broken by you so that we can be used for you, God, and used for your kingdom. God, I pray that this message would weigh heavy on our hearts. God, I pray that it would be a message that would change us and challenge us to be everything that you want us to be and not what we want to be, but be everything that you want us to be. And if you take that challenge and agree with it tonight, say amen. Amen. I know that there is danger in preaching uh, familiar passages of Scripture. But like I said, because I think sometimes when we do that, there's a tendency to just get, you know, tune, tune it out because you think you know everything there is to know. And you know what? Maybe, maybe that is the case. Maybe this is going to be one of those messages for some of you that, you, you know, it just kind of glazes over. But at the same time, given what I just gave you on, on those stats and on those things about where the American culture is, the, the church culture is, it should absolutely shock us and scare us. God forbid that our church fall into that. I mean that. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. God forbid that 51% of our church ever think it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. Come on. God forbid that we ever have, I think it was 25% or 28% of Christian people believe it's okay to kill an innocent child in the womb. Is that, is that okay to say that behind the pulpit? I mean, I know that that's where we are in cultural Christianity today, that we do these things, but I'm not here to be a cultural Christian. I'm here to follow Jesus Christ and be his disciple. And so are you. And with all of that said, and, and, and laying this foundation, we understand that when we look in the Scripture, and we look in the world today, and we look at even in the church world today, in many churches, we see, frankly, many dry bones. We see people that 
need a fresh wind and they need a fresh vigor of Christ. And it's only going to be by a work of the Lord that he's going to bring those things that are seemingly dead back to life. And my prayer and my statement, and I prophesied in the name of Jesus, let it be so. Let everything that the devil has destroyed and killed and stolen from us, let everything not just come back to life, not not just the Lord come and, and, and restore life unto us, but give us life more abundantly. Where it's above and beyond everything that the devil had killed and stolen and destroyed, but that it goes above and beyond and where we're blessed above and beyond. And before we get into the heaviness of this message, I just, if you want to say it out loud, if you want to whisper it, if you just want to speak it in your heart and mind, I want you to tell the Lord and yourself or those around you and frankly even the devil himself that I am getting my life back, I'm getting my dreams back, I'm getting my calling back, I'm getting my vision back, I'm getting my passion back. Those things that were dead, they are alive today in Christ Jesus. Would you just take a moment and would you just do that right now? Come on, church. Tell the Lord, tell yourself, tell the devil, put him on notice. Tell those around you that it's been long enough. I'm no longer going to be stagnant. I'm no longer going to walk around in some kind of depression. I am going to have the life that the Lord wants me to have. Now, some of you, as we're going on, you say, well, Josh, I'm not sure that that can happen because, you know, I've prayed about this stuff before and it's never happened. I just can't get back to where I was. Or maybe some of you think, well, I don't deserve it. You know, maybe I've sinned too much or I've fallen astray and, and, and it's never going to happen. Or that things are just gone too far and they're not just dead, but they are very dry bones. They are very dead. They're not just recently dead. These dreams and these passions and these callings and everything that the devil has stolen, they have been dead and gone for a long time. And I'm telling you what the Lord told Ezekiel to tell the dry bones, and it is this. If this is for you, then you receive it tonight. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm putting you on notice. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't allow your mind to doubt. Don't take those thoughts captive right now unto the obedience of Christ. And don't go there. Don't, go, don't allow your mind to go to a place of doubt tonight. Don't allow your mind to wander off into some kind of depression thinking back on how things, well, it used to be good, but you know things. Don't allow your mind to go there. Hear the word of the Lord instead. Somebody say amen in the house. Choose to accept God's grace and his mercy instead of your dead situation. Choose to accept that. And here in our scripture, we see Ezekiel. He's in the presence of God in the spirit, and he was presented with a devastating situation. He is surrounded by piles of human bones. And without any kind of preparation or without any kind of a warning, God had dropped him in the spirit into this devastating kind of a situation. It was a valley of death. There was no explanation to prepare him for it. And the only thing, the only thing that came to my mind that we could even parallel it to get an idea of what Ezekiel saw in the spirit was maybe those pictures that we see of the Nazi concentration camps during World War II where you saw piles and piles of dead bodies with you know emaciated bodies with just the skin on them. But even that's not descriptive enough When you think of like the catacombs over in uh, Europe where there's literally, you, you know, you go underground and they have thousands and thousands and thousands of just bones and skulls. 
skulls that are stacked in there. That's the only thing that I can paint a picture of what it was coming close to what it was that Ezekiel had to see. And imagine being in that situation only for God to come down and ask a ridiculous question. He comes down and he asks me the question or he asks you the question that he asks Ezekiel. Josh, can these dry bones live? And in our humanity, we want to sit there and we want to think to ourselves, well, that's a ridiculous question. They're dead, and they're not just dead. These aren't just recently dead where we can resuscitate them. These are bones, God. Because he is fa- Ezekiel was faced with the impossibility of the situation. How many of you have ever been faced with an impossible situation? I mean an impossible situation. Only two or three of you. Well, the rest of you have got off easy. No, but the point of it is, is that, you know, the churchy, faith-filled answer would have said, well, of course, God, of course they can live again. But whenever you are faced with an impossible situation staring you in the face, I'm sure that there was a part of Ezekiel, maybe he didn't voice it to the Lord, but there was a part of Ezekiel where he said, no, no, this thing can't live again. No, this thing cannot come back to life again. Ezekiel wasn't sugarcoating the situation. These were dead bones. And he took a middle-of-the-ground answer instead of just coming back with a faith-filled answer of, yes, of course these bones can live, or instead of showing doubt, well, no, of course they cannot live, he comes with a middle-ground answer where he says, well, only you know if they can live. And it seemed to appease the situation. He seemed to try and answer God but, but not have the faith-filled way maybe that he should have had in a confidence. How many of God has ever come down and he's called you or he's challenged you to do something and instead of just answering God with a yes or a no, you put him on delay? Come on. You just kind of walk around the issue for a long time and just kind of play dumb. Well, God, I don't really know what it is you mean. Of course you know what it means. God asks you a question, can these bones live, yes or no? And instead of addressing the situation, instead of addressing the dead areas in our lives, in our homes, in our families, in our finances, in our health, and all of these things, we dance around the issue so that if God doesn't come through the way we want him to come through, at least we won't be disappointed anymore. Are you hearing me now? Or if I give the wrong answer, at least maybe he won't be mad at me. You know how many Christians walk around all the time thinking God is mad at them all the time? Mad. And so they don't, they, don't, they don't answer anyway. They just avoid situations all the time trying to take a middle-of-the-road uh, middle answer. Now, one version that we read says that these bones were scattered. They weren't just, you know, if, there, if you have a human skeleton up here and it's in the same shape as it should be, you, you, you can identify what it is. Well, that's a human skeleton. This was a, but whenever you just come upon a random bone, a pile of, you don't know what it is. You don't know if it's a human bone belonging to some kind of animal. And the Bible points out that these bones had been ripped apart and they had been scattered all over the valley in piles so that you couldn't even identify the thing anymore. Did you know that the scripture points out that's exactly what the devil wants to do to you? Kill, steal, and destroy as though you never even existed? as though you never even were on the earth, that would be his ultimate desire to just come in and kill you and destroy you and just scatter everything about you to the four corners of the world where nobody even knew you ever even existed. He would love to do that. 
So Ezekiel finds himself in a place of death, which is bad enough. But it's not just of death, it's of intentional death and destruction. To make the point that these things had been scattered. This place was nothing but a place of a crime scene. It was nothing but a crime scene with the evidence that the enemy had been there and done his worst. Had done his worst. He had come in and killed and destroyed. The the Bible says that it was a valley full of bones. Not just one or a few people's bones, but many bones. And the scale of destruction was huge. You know, one person said, whenever you have an individual that dies, they have a name. But whenever you have a multitude of people die, it's a statistic. And the only way that you can rationalize this level of destruction that he was seeing was nothing more than a statistic. It took the individual, it took the personal connection out of it because there was some. Can I tell you, we see this in the church world today. We see it in the church world. People that are walking around with lives that have been destroyed and destroyed. And that's why we saw those stats that I was quoting to you. People whose lives and and morals and values and biblical standards and everything has been destroyed and, and warped by the enemy. Am I making sense tonight, church? You say, well, Josh, what's the good news? Because I said, as I said a while ago, while the enemy comes in to kill and steal and destroy, God came to give you life and life more abundantly. Life more abundantly. Oh, I know it's hard to be in the low place and to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I know it's hard to pray in those moments. I know it's hard to worship when you're in the valley of the shadow of death and you're surrounded by nothing but bones and destruction and the evidence of it is all around you. I know it's hard to praise God in those moments, but I feel like what, is, what God told Ezekiel, and that is to this, where he said that God is about to breathe on them. That which is dead and gone is about to live. Listen, God wants to come down. You can't do anything in and of yourself on your own to bring these things back to life, but God can. And that's where your faith comes into play. And I know that the enemy comes along and he beats you down and and he tries to make you believe that nothing's going to change and that everything's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And let me just send you a newsflash. Maybe it is in the world. Maybe it is. That's Bible prophecy. Come on, somebody. It's going to get bad. But God has a remnant church that he's going to pour his spirit out on, and I truly believe that we are one of them, and God's going to use us to win the masses, and this place is going to be overflowing with people being saved and healed and brought to the knowledge of Christ. How many of you believe that tonight? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. But it starts in the church. It starts in the church. God wants to come and breathe. God wants to breathe on your prayer life again to where you can... I can breathe again. God wants to come and He wants to breathe on your calling. He wants to come and he wants to breathe into your your, your worship life, into your praise life, into your visions, into your dreams. He wants to breathe once again. 
You say, well, only God knows if these things can live. Well, yes, God knows if they can live, and he wants them to. God wants them to. Where I work in our business, we have several vets. I can't mention any names, of course. I'm not going to violate HIPAA, but suffice to say that over the years, we've had many people come along that have been residents at our facility. And, and if you know anybody that has ever had the disease COPD, you know how devastating it can be. And you can see the progression of it over time. And you can see the effects of COPD. We've had one guy in particular that always comes back to my mind when I, think, when I, was, when I was working on this message. And he, he's one of these guys that has to have an inhaler on him at all times in case he goes to, into an attack. And also he has a, a, some kind of a breathing machine that he keeps by him uh, at night. And he, he runs it at nighttime. He literally cannot take 10 steps without having to take a break. It's not an exaggeration. Every time I see him in the past, and years, he would be walking through the house, and he would have to stop and lean up against the wall. Catch his breath, and he would tell him, I'll be there in a minute. And he would take a few more steps, and he would just have to stop and pause. And he, this, this was his life. This was absolutely his life because literally the breath had been robbed out of him. It had been stolen from him. This COPD had, had, had taken effect on his life, his social life. He couldn't go anywhere. He couldn't do anything. He didn't have the energy. He didn't have the capacity. He couldn't do anything. And can I tell you, in a very real sense spiritually, that is exactly what the enemy has done to so many in the church. It's a disease that has robbed them and stolen from them and it's robbed their breath and not just of that but of life abundantly. And the devil too has stolen breath spiritually speaking from so many people through disappointments, through failures, through heartbreaks, through betrayal, broken marriages, broken finances, broken dreams and on and on and on and on we can go. And it's like those things just compound around you spiritually and just like a constrictor wraps around you, they've just pulled into the point that you can't, you don't have the capacity for breath anymore and you don't have any kind of energy and you don't have any kind of stamina and you just... And you come into church. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. This isn't a condemning message. I'm trying to show you that God wants to set you free from this. And people come in in these broken states and they come in with this point to where they can't breathe. There's no life. There's no breath. There's no spirit in them because those things I just mentioned to you have been robbed. The very presence of God, the anointing, has been crowded out of them. You've prayed about it. You've had anointing oil, you've fallen out in the spirit, you've cursed the devil and you've blessed the Lord and blessed yourself. You've done the prayer walks, you've ran the aisles, you shouted and danced and there is nothing wrong with those things. Those things are manifestations of the presence of God. But if it didn't happen to you, then you need to allow the spirit of God to once again come and fill you. You have to have the presence of God in your life. Those things that have been dead and gone and robbed out of your life, your talents won't bring them back. Your gifts, your good looks, your money, your connections won't bring them back. The way that this stuff is going to be brought back is simply by a move of God and His Spirit, period. Period. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You say, okay, Josh. Well, how does that happen? Because when I look over my life, I really don't have anything to offer the Lord. Well, you know what? You're the perfect candidate. You're the perfect candidate. 
God in His mercy, God in His mercy is ready to bless people and be poured out on people. You see, there's so many people that come into the church world, even in the church world, where they don't feel that they're good enough to have any blessing of God. Where they're not holy enough, or maybe they've sinned too many times, and what you need to learn is the mercy of God. You need to learn the mercy of God. Well, you say, well, Josh, I don't really deserve it. That's exactly right. That's what mercy is. It's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. Not at all. But because of his love for you, he doesn't look down at you and think, well, you know what? You don't deserve this today, so I'm not going to. He knew all along, up front, long ago, you don't deserve anything you've ever got, but he chooses to anyway. That is his great love and compassion and mercy in your life. It is mercy. That's all this thing is, is mercy. And when you can catch hold of the fact that God is a merciful God, the Bible points out that his mercies are new every morning. There isn't a some zero game where God's only got a limited amount and once it's gone, it's gone. No, if he needs to create some more, he'll just create more for you. That's the kind of God we serve. You say, well, Josh, these things in my life that are dead, can they be brought back to life? By mercy. I dare you to pray for mercy. I dare you. I dare you in your prayer time, in your corporate prayer time, in your individual prayer time, pray for mercy and see if God doesn't just begin to come down and begin to pour out some mercy in your life. You see, the problem of it is, if we're not careful, the reason this simple truth has escaped so many people is because that there is a form of godliness and there's no power in it. A form of godliness but no power. You see, verses 4 through 6, let me read these again very quickly. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you and make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin and I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. You see, If I had a human form up here, a dead body, you could identify it for what it was. You could say that is a human form, a human body, but there would be no animation to it because there's no life, there is no breath, and that is exactly what religion is. That's exactly what religion is. You can identify it as being something religion. You can qualify it as saying, well, that has the form of Christianity. But if it is laying there lifeless, if it has no impact going on, then it's lifeless, it's dead, it's good for nothing. The distinguishing characteristic is the breath. And in this case, it's the breath of God. It is the Spirit of God. You see, God created Adam out of the dust, but he was lifeless until God breathed the breath of life into him. And that's exactly what so many people need. Even Christians in the church world, they need God to just show some mercy and come down and begin to breathe into them once again. Bring in the breath, bring in the Spirit of God, not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God it's going to happen. Godless, lifeless, breathless religion won't cut it. People looking to all kinds of forms. And rituals and religion to bring about healing and mercy and grace in their lives. But it is a lifeless counterfeit. And it's a substitute for the very breath and presence of God. You see, people can have a form. They can have bones. 
They can have structure, but if they don't have any breath, they won't have any power. And God is wanting to show mercy and he's wanting to show grace. My question to you is can your life and dreams come alive again? I'm asking you, can they? Can they? Can you convince yourself, and I don't mean trying to drum it up in your own, can you, can you muster enough faith to think back to those things that have been dead, that the devil has robbed you? Can God really bring that back to life? That vision, that dream, that plan that died 10, 20, 30 years ago, can God really resurrect that thing? I mean, after all, it's been dead a long time. I mean, it's been dead. It is very dry bones according to the Word of God. Can He bring life to that thing? Absolutely He can. How many of you believe that? Those lost loved ones... How many of you ever prayed for a lost loved one so long, every time you see him, you sit there and you think to yourself, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I have. I'll make a confession. There's an individual, every time I see, doubt wells up in me. Come on. Anybody else? Doubt wells up in me. And I sit there and I think, God, I've prayed so many prayers. Lord, I've sought you. I've fasted over this individual. Can it happen? And then I come back to the Word of God. And it's like the Lord is just preparing this message. It's like the Lord dropped in my spirit. Josh, can those bones live? Yeah. You've got to keep the faith, church. Amen? Don't get caught in unbelief. Don't get caught up in all of this stuff that's holding you back. God is wanting to show you mercy. He's wanting to breathe life into your dreams and into your visions, into the greater church. Can Poplar Bluff... I'm going to ask the question. Can Poplar Bluff be saved? Can it? Do you believe it? In your heart of hearts, do you believe that? Can your family be saved? Then the question is, can those dry bones live? It's the same question. It's the same question. It's an impossibility. And if you don't believe in the mercy of God, if you don't trust in the mercy of God, then your life will get swallowed up by the impossibilities of life. That's what I was thinking about that individual. Every time I used to lay eyes on him, I would sit there and say, that one is impossible. That one will never break. Come on. That one, God, I, I don't, I, I, that one is just not going to break. And every time, it was like the Lord would just come out and there would just be a little spark of hope. There would just be a little spark of hope. You have to trust in the mercy of God. If you don't trust in the mercy of God, then you will get swallowed up by the impossibilities of life. God, have mercy on the churches. God, have mercy on pastors. God, fill the churches once again. God, give us mercy that will bring the presence of the Lord back to the, the church in a powerful way and into our prayer meetings and into our Sunday school classes and into our children's church and into our youth group. Come on, church. It's mercy. I want you guys to do me a favor. Not tonight, but tomorrow. When you go to work, you go to the gym, when you're out working in the yard and you see your neighbors, when you're on the street, when you're at Walmart, I want you to do me a favor and I want you to start telling people around you what God is doing in your life. Can you do that? Just tell them what the Lord's doing in your life. 
Don't hold back because of all the negative things. Don't be all shy about it. Tell them what God is going to do, what he is doing. And I don't mean tell them what heaven's going to be like. Heaven's going to be great. Tell him what he's doing in the here and now. Come on. They don't want to hear what heaven's going to be like in 30, 40, 50, 60 years when you die. They want to know if God is alive and well on the earth today. Is he still moving? Is he still healing? Is he still saving? What's the difference that you Christians have to offer me versus where I am now? That's what the world is looking for. And if we go to our workplaces and we have nothing good to say and it's just humdrum and and we're walking in like a bunch of very dry, dead bones, then why on earth would the world want to listen to anything that we have to say? But if we got Christians that are walking into the, the, the workplace and though you may have been through hell and high water yourself and you're sitting there and you walk in and say, let me tell you what God did for me this week. Let me tell you what God is doing in my life. Let me tell you what he's going to continue to do. Let me tell you what he's doing in our church. Let me tell you what he's doing. You know what they're going to do? They're going to sit there and they're going to say, you know what, there's something about you I like and I want. Where do you go to church? That's just human nature. George Barna did a study also on the number one thing that non-Christian, get this, non-Christian people, when they first come into a church, this is a scientific study, George Barney, look it up yourself. The question was asked, what, what are the unsaved, the non-Christian people looking for when they first come into a church? You know what, you know what it is? The Spirit of God. That's what their answer was. You say, well, what do you mean by that? They're coming in because they want to see if his presence is real. You Christians talk about God living here on earth and the Holy Spirit. Did you know that there's only a third of Americans that even believe in the Holy Spirit? Only one third of Americans believe in the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in. How many of you know our world's in trouble? But how many of you know God's got the answer? And so when people come in, and and we as Christians, we as believers that are full of the Spirit of God, and we talk about these things, when they come in, what they're searching for, what they're looking for, is the actual presence of God. So that when they walk through the doors of the church, they come in, and "Mm, there's something different about that. You know how many times I've heard that about our church? People walk in and they don't even know what they're looking for necessarily, what to experience. And they walk in and all of a sudden their spirit is quickened by the Holy Spirit. And they're like, hmm, hmm, what is that? I'm serious. Come on. We've had that said many times, haven't we, Pastor? They don't even know what it is that they're sensing, but they're like, hmm, I like this. I don't know what it is. They're so ignorant of the things of God, they don't know what it is that they're experiencing, but it is the manifest presence of God. God help us to never lose it in our church because that is what sets us apart as a remnant church that brings the unsaved in so that we can minister the gospel of Christ. We have to have the mercy and the grace of God. I'm jumping on my notes. We have to trust in God's good character. All throughout Scripture, We see people who claim to know God, but they ultimately lost faith because they lost an understanding of God's character. Listen, God is not impressed with the best of us. None of us match Jesus. And so whenever you come in, church, and and you're 
You wonder if God's ever going to do this thing, if He's ever going to resurrect this thing, these dry bones in your life, the, the visions, the dreams, the, the, the marriage, the, whatever it is, the finances. And you sit there and you wonder, God, you know, is it going to happen? First thing you need to do is you need to get rid of this whole notion that you got anything to offer Him. Come on. Yes, yes, the Lord believes in our obedience. Yes, the Lord wants our obedience. But God doesn't bless you because of anything that, that you do that impresses Him. He blesses you because of His good character. Period. His good character. He blesses you because He's a loving God. Period. He's not impressed with my righteousness because according to Isaiah, my righteousness is as of filthy rags. So I don't impress Him. But when I come to him in mercy and in grace and I approach his throne of, of, of grace with boldness, I come not based on anything I have to offer, but I come based on the knowledge that he is a good and a loving and a merciful and a gracious God. That's why I'm able to approach him. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in his character. His character. When we go to prayer... And we can't present any reason why God should do what we ask other than the fact that we know who He is. How many of you have prayed one of these prayers? Lord, I'm embarrassed to even pray about this. I don't deserve it. God, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Not based on anything that I have to offer you but just simply based on the fact that you're loving and you're merciful and you're gracious. You know, God honors those kind of prayers. And so when you come to him with these dead things in your life, the enemy beats you up with condemnation. Oh, that ain't never going to happen. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not blah, blah, blah. And he does all these kinds of things. Then that's when you turn around and you say, devil, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to take all these thoughts into captivity and the obedience of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to trust in the good character of of God. He loves me not because of anything that I have done, but He loves me because He chooses to. In fact, the Bible points out that we love Him because what? He first loved us. I teasingly, I've even said this behind the pulpit. My kids are here and they know I'm teasing. Luke, you know I'm teasing, right? Come on. All right. He's like, yeah, Dad. Lily, you know I'm teasing when I'm about to say this. I, I, I teasingly will tell my kids sometimes, I'll say, I love you, and I don't even know why. You ain't never done anything for me. What have you ever done for me? I mean, you cost me money. You know what I'm saying? And they know I'm teasing. But let's be honest. Does God love you because of your performance, because of what you brought to Him? Absolutely not. He loves you because He chooses to. Because it is in Him to love you. It is part of His character. And so when you come to him in this state where you say, God, these things that are dead, that the enemy, these very dry bones, these things that are dead, God, all I have to do is, all I can do is offer them up to you. That's when God says, let me breathe on you. And jumping ahead, when you skip down to later on in chapter 37, verse 11 then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. 
How many of you ever prayed, I mean, been honest with yourself on that kind of stuff? I mean, you're a Christian, you love the Lord, you're going to heaven, but you just feel dry. The testimony of the people was this, that they had lost strength and that there was no living water flowing through them anymore, that they can barely stand, that they can barely get through their trials, that they can barely get through their weaknesses. So how can we possibly believe for something greater than our own struggles? And you know how many people in the body of Christ have the same kind of testimony? There's, I'm not going to mention any names. I wouldn't dare do that. But there's, there's, <laughs> there's people that we all know that, you know, when you ask them, well, you know, how's things going? And then you sit there and you say, how, why did I ask them that? That was so stupid of me. Because they're going to sit there and they're going to tell you everything wrong in their life. Y'all know what I'm talking about. They're going to tell you everything wrong in their life. Instead of every once in a while, you'd like to hear them say, well, you know what? I've been going through some struggles, but... God's going to help me through this. I'm just believing God's going to take me through this. I'm believing God's going to open a door. I'm believing God's going to do this. When you go down and later on in verses 12 through 14, the Lord's response to Ezekiel was this. He said, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have opened your graves, O oh my people, I love that he keeps saying this, O oh my people, he's identifying them as him, as his own, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place, in your own, place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. That's a promise of the Lord to bring those dead things back to life. And God says that he will regather us from the places where we have made peace with death. You know how many people, even Christians, that have made peace with death in their lives? I'm not talking about physical death. They, they have just, there's just certain areas in their life where they once dreamed, where they once had passion, where they once had And now those things seem to have died away. And they, they can't, they've just said, well, you know, they've written it off. They've put a tombstone up there and they've written it off. That's not the will of the Lord. That's not the will of the Lord, church. Quit making peace with death. A spiritual awakening is not going to simply come to the streets in the world and leave us behind in sealed graves in the church. It happens in the church first. Before there's ever going to be a great awakening out there, there has to be a great awakening in here. Period. It will start with the people of God. That's always been the pattern that God has used. And no matter what area in your life is dead, it's time to get up. God is breathing into you. And God is wanting to breathe into your visions, breathe into your passion, breathe into your health. How many of you believe in divine healing? There's an individual I've been praying for divine healing on and it seems like every week something else falls apart. Just begins to fall apart. And you sit there and you, what am I, what am I going to do? Am I going to sit there and write it off and say, well, God's word obviously isn't true? Or am I going to face that thing head on and say, God, I choose to accept your word above and beyond what is going on in the natural. Your, your word is more real than this world ever will be. What are you going to do? And those are the same kinds of questions that you have to ask yourself about things that are dead in your life. God, can you breathe into this situation? So that's the question. Can God breathe into your situation? Will their person stand across this place tonight? Go ahead and stand. I'm going to ask John and the praise team to come.
We are not ignorant and we are not foolish or wrong or pessimistic to sit there and identify the fact that the world is falling apart. And frankly, many things in the church are falling apart. You say, oh, Josh, that's so... No, no, listen, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not. I'm a realist. I'm a realist. And I'm also a realist in the sense that I know the power of God. I know that God wants to pour out His... You say, well, because the Word says so. Period. Now, you could choose to believe the Word of God in certain things about your life. Or you can, you know, and, 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 and face it head on even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Even, you, you, mm. you know why so many people aren't walking in victory anymore? Is because they don't know the Word. When people, when Christian people, and I, I'm not trying to meddle, can I, can I just hit a few things head on tonight? Can, can I just do this? Is this okay? I mean, this is going out on the internet, so I guess the world's going to hear it too. When 51% of the church world says, quote-unquote, born-again Christians say, they have no problem with consenting adults having premarital sex, friend, you don't know the word. Period. And, and, and I'm just using that as one example of many things that you, we could... And, and then they'll sit there and they'll say, well, man, I just, I just don't understand why we don't have victory in our life. I just don't understand why, why things are going... I, I just don't understand. When, when 66% of born-again Christians have no problem with divorce... I mean... It's just a thing. I mean, whatever. Everybody does it. And we know there are biblical reasons for divorce, adultery. Come on, somebody. But when they just write it off as though it's... Listen, they don't know the Word. They don't know the Word. And we can go on and on. When, when 20, roughly 25% of Christians have no problem with the murder of innocent children, they don't know the Word. And they walk around in bondages and they walk around constrained and there's no victory and there's no life. It is no wonder why that is going on. It's because they don't know the word. And in choose what, instead what they have chosen to do, they have chosen to put sin and selfishness in front of the word of God. Well, if I'll just ignore the word of God, then I'm not really accountable to it. I've heard that. I've had people tell me that. Thinking they're going to make it into heaven on a wink and a nod. It's the remnant church that will take the things of God seriously. It's never easy. Come on. Jesus was perfect and sinless and look how they treated him. How do you think they're going to treat you? 11 out of the remaining 12 disciples, how did they die? That's right, they were murdered. And when you choose to follow biblical standards and you get in line with the Word of God 
And then the presence of God, the Spirit of God comes and He begins to move. And He begins to breathe life into these things that were dead. He's not trying to bring them back to life so that you can sit there and pat yourself on the back and be selfish with the things that God does. It's so that you can be empowered to go out. Is this okay? You say, well, Josh, what's this about? Listen, we, we need a powerful remnant. We need a powerful remnant. How many of you want to be part of the remnant? Raise your hand. You want to be part of the remnant. Part of the remnant. Keep your hand up. Keep, keep both hands up just as, a, just as a form of worship unto the Lord. Right now, I know I'm talking, but just where, where, keep your hands up. Just worship the Lord for a few moments. This is serious. 